Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. That was a crazy week, too. Oh, my goodness. Too much for you to watch, and guess what? That's why we're here. In this episode, we go game by game from the blurbers who covered those contests to give you the details, and basically every single fantasy-relevant player, they tell you about their performance and what you need to take from it in the forthcoming weeks. Do you want to say thank you so much to everyone who has been listening, subscribing, rating, and reviewing? We've had record numbers this month, and that's all because of you. I really do appreciate it. We have important shows each and every week, including John Daigle's 20-minute waiver pod on Tuesday mornings and our preview pod on Friday where we go game by game for the entire upcoming slate. So if you like that, join us for the rest of the season. All right. Big week. Crazy week. Let's get into it right now. In overtime. The Super Bowl winning Kansas City Chiefs improved to 2-0, beating the Los Angeles Chargers 23-20. Highly competitive contest here. Hayden Winks covered it for us. Hayden, I'm really urged to talk about the Chargers first, but we should start with the winner. We should start with Patrick Mahomes going 27-47, 302 yards, and two touchdowns to go along with 54 rushing yards doing his best Kyler Murray impression here. I mean, this is a team... They only scored six points in the first half, nine points to the first three quarters. Yet it seems like Mahomes, just like he could in the Super Bowl, is able to turn it on when it matters most in the fourth quarter. Gus Bradley's defense for the Chargers is not a good fit for Patrick Mahomes, who wants to play downfield, get Tyree uh, downfield. They just limit those those type of plays. So Mahomes was just kept on checking down, checking down, checking down, but eventually got Tyree Kill over the top for a touchdown. The defense kind of broke down late in the game, and that's why you got – Patrick Mahomes leading an overtime win. And that only happened because Anthony Lynn decided to punt the ball in overtime on fourth and one. The offense was playing okay. They've been running the ball well the entire game, and they punt the ball in overtime to Patrick Mahomes, who um, ends up going working, working his way downfield for a game-winning field goal. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Do you want a beautiful lawn? 
Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. (laughs) Well. Ooh, yeah. That happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. Uh, let's first talk about the running game. Clyde edwards Hilaire, who we saw do work in week one, that Thursday night football opener, 10 carries, 38 yards. Not much on the ground, just 32 yards, eight targets, six receptions in the passing game. So at least he was more involved there. Did the Chargers just do a great job, like you mentioned, just bottling him up, his efforts on the ground? Yeah, the defensive line played well for the Chargers, as always. And this is the, the offense just kind of seemed out of sync for like the first three quarters of the game, which is super rare for the for the Chiefs. But what we saw was Clyde Edwards Hilaire get more involved as a check down receiver. And that kind of was because of the Chargers defense playing that zone defense. But also Darrell Williams left um, late in the game, and that kind of opened things up for more passing down work for Clyde Edwards Hilaire. So that's something to keep track of. Um, Darwin Thompson played a little bit as well. So if you're looking for a deep league guy, that's probably somebody worth picking up if Darrell Williams' ankle injuries uh, proves to be serious. You mentioned Tyreek Hill, big game, 11 targets, 11 targets. The efficiency wasn't there, though, with just five receptions, 99 yards, and a score. Travis Kelsey saw 14 targets, nine receptions, 90 yards, and a score. Um, I do want to ask about Sammy Watkins, who had a great week one but then left in this game with what appeared to be at least a head injury, probably a concussion, three targets, one reception and 11 yards. And then almost immediately in its place, in his place, it seemed like Michael Hardman finally got an opportunity with three targets, two receptions and 30 yards for himself. Yeah. Michael Hardman opened the game as the returner, which was is his role in week one. And he didn't have a target until Sammy Watkins left. And I believe it was the third quarter going into the fourth quarter. And then the next play, Saw a target, um, worked down in the middle of the field, I think had a two-point conversion as well. So this was kind of the break that McCole Hardman needed to be in in the fantasy lineups. The one problem is Sammy Watkins gets an extra day of rest to clear concussion protocol because the Chiefs play on Monday night against the Ravens, which will be the the game of the year. Um, so mm-hmm. I'm guessing Pat or uh, Sammy Watkins is able to make it then, um, but we'll see. This is basically McCole Hardman's unplayable unless Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, or Sammy Watkins gets injured. Um, maybe he catches a break. That's why you keep McCall Hardman on your bench no matter what. Um, but we'll see if Sammy Watkins can return. All right, let's talk about the Chargers. This is going to be fun. So all week and week one and, you know, hard knocks and all that stuff, it's been Tyrod Taylor, the starting quarterback. Well, I pull up this game as soon as kickoff happens and Justin Herbert trots out there as a starting quarterback. What we've learned since is that Tyrod was dealing with like an abdominal or a rib injury all week and like immediately before the game started, like five to 10 seconds before kickoff, Justin Herbert, the rookie sixth overall pick found out that he was going to be the starting quarterback here. And Hayden 22 of 33, 
311 yards, a touchdown, an interception, and adding another 14, or excuse me, 18 yards on the ground and a touchdown. It's a very admirable start here for the rookie. Yeah, and this was definitely without any game plan. The Chargers were not trying to sneak uh, uh, Herbert into the starting lineup. There was a serious injury that happened to Tyrod, who is apparently still the starter after this game, even though Herbert really looked strong. When the ball leaves his hand, there's just a lot of zip on it. He's not always perfect, perfectly accurate, but he's accurate enough, and he's definitely an athlete. He scrambled out of the pocket early in the game for his first career touchdown, which is rushing touchdown, and he just like looked the part, which is – the first step when you're evaluating a rookie quarterback, of course, he's going to make mistakes. There was a couple of delayed games. There was a really bad cross crossbody throw for an interception. But step one, looking the part, Justin Herbert definitely looked the looked the part. I would be absolutely stunned if the Chargers did not give Justin Herbert more starts down the line. I think it's crazy to go back to Tyrod Taylor. Yeah, that quote from Anthony Lynn saying that Tyrod's a start if he's healthy. That's also the guy who punted back to the Kansas City Chiefs in overtime. So, like, nothing would surprise you. Yeah, you mentioned it. The the negatives were there. That interception, he had some, like, you know, inaccurate throws along the sideline, too. I believe one was to Hunter Henry. Then he had, like, this beautiful lofted pass, like, right over the linebacker or Tyron Matthew down the seam to Keenan Allen, then in the back left corner of the end zone to Jalen Guyton for a touchdown. I mean, the highs and lows were there, what you expect from a rookie. But, like, the real highs were things that he created himself – and to me, that's what's really what's, what's really exciting. Um, yeah, Justin, we, when we were talking about Justin Herbert as a prospect, one of the big things was the tools were there, the downfield throws, he could make them. He was always just so hesitant with them, and he was a really inconsistent player at Oregon. Immediately, he had a couple deep throws. He almost hit Mike Williams on a deep uh, touchdown here. That was kind of the big surprise. You see the arm talent on tape all the time, but was he going to do it enough in the pros to be a successful quarterback? And we at least saw that in week one. We'll see how we translate. Um, I, w- I will say whether it's Justin Herbert or Tyrod Taylor starting, that has major fantasy implications for especially Austin Eckler. We saw Austin Eckler had four targets and that was a big, big deal because Austin Eckler only had one target last week. And I think this even helps uh, Keenan Allen. This probably helps Hunter Henry. I think just the passing offense would be better with Justin Herbert. So we have to hope that Herbert ends up getting the call. Yeah. And Eckler did well with his four targets, 55 yards, um, he also had 16 carries for 93 yards. Looked great. Joshua Kelly got a ton of run, a ton yes, of run, did. especially near the goal line. I think he looks fluid. I, the average uh, yards per carry were, were not great at less than three, but 23 carries for 63 yards. He's a real part of this offense, isn't he, Hayden? He is, and I wouldn't look at the yards per carry just because so many of those carries were short yardage carries where you're not trying to get five yards. You're just trying to get one yard or two yards. So I would basically ignore that. He's plugged in there. We'll see uh, Justin Jackson should return from his quad injury next week. But I've seen enough from Joshua Kelly that you have to assume that he stays as the number two back. But we haven't seen this work out with both of them fully active. So that's something to keep an eye on. I would be pretty confident that Joshua Kelly remains the number two, though. And Kelly added 49 receiving yards on two receptions as well. I mean, the Chargers get the Panthers next week. And if if Justin Herbert is starting there, then that might be one of the better fantasy weeks you have out of these skill position players this entire season. Okay, let's go to the other game you had. You know, Aaron Rodgers in week one was one of the storylines exiting that first slate of games. His Green Bay Packers beat the Detroit Lions 42-20, to Packers 2-0, Lions now 0-2. But Aaron's stat line, not nearly as good as last week, Hayden. 18 of 30, 240, and two touchdowns. What were the differences that you saw? 
There are two major differences. One, Aaron Jones went off. He had a 75-yard touchdown. The game was just kind of the, the game flow kind of went away from Aaron Rodgers just because they had a lead so early in the game, and the Lions just weren't really fighting back. So they kind of took the uh, the foot off the pedal. The other thing was Devontae Adams exited. He didn't even play the fourth quarter. He kind of got rolled up on early in the game. He kind of had like an ankle injury that he went to the sideline for. And then later in the game, he returned. But then he left, and the Packers uh, called it a hamstring injury, and he was questionable re- to return. I'm guessing that he would have been able to return if they wanted to. He was standing on the sideline. He didn't look like he was in major pain. There wasn't a play that I saw that was like, oh, no, Devontae Adams is hurt. I think they were just up big and wanted to rest him, but that's something to keep an eye on. Aaron Rodgers needs Devontae Adams for sure. He's clearly the best uh, receiver they have. Marcus Valdez-Scantling made a couple plays, Alan Lazard, but these are not true number one receivers. If, if Aaron Rodgers is going to be a top 10 fantasy quarterback, he definitely needs uh, Devontae Adams. Aaron Jones went off. I yes, mean, he did. Eight, 18 carries, 168 yards, two touchdowns, including a 75-yard uh, run. He also had 68 receiving yards and another score. I mean, what a game for Aaron Jones. Another side, I mean, the Lions were up 14-3 after the first quarter. Matthew Stafford, 20 of 33, two touchdowns and an interception. They only scored seven more points the rest of the game. Is Kenny Galladay just that big of a deal? And like how they start so well and then not be able to do anything after that? It just seems like a team that just wasn't playing with enough energy. There never seemed to be a true game plan. I'm sure Kenny Galladay will change that. I'm hoping he's playing next week. Apparently he's close to returning, but man, they just need it. They're just missing something. There was no like downfield game. The running game was just so inconsistent. That's a, that's another story is carry on Johnson started after a bad week last week, played the entire first drive, scored a touchdown. Then Adrian Peterson carry on kind of split early down work. Deandre Swift. I still believed led the backfield in uh, snaps but it's a three-headed committee right now, and that's not what you're looking for. Hopefully, DeAndre Swift ends up winning out. Adrian Peterson didn't look like he had as much juice outside of one run, a 25-yard run. But it's kind of a situation to avoid there for the most part. Um, the other note, uh, TJ Hawkinson looked fine. He had a, a check down that he ran after. But he's not seeing like the crazy volume that you kind of would have expected with Kenny Galladay out. I think we have to treat him as like a tight end 1-2 borderline option, not like a low-end tight end 1 quite yet. Hopefully he has a, a late late season breakout. I think just the Lions just need Kenny Galladay for some more explosion, really. And the process was basically right with DeAndre Swift. We thought that you know he would lead this backfield in touches, and he ultimately did that by catching five passes on five targets in sixty yards. He probably looks good there, you know, but he he just they just need more is what you're saying. They just need more more firepower. Yeah, more scoring opportunities. They just need better game flow, better rhythm. Um, I don't know. I mean, Matt Patricia's got to be somewhat on the hot seat here. The the team just looks totally out of sorts right now. So I, I they need to win a couple of games here. I mean, they face the Cardinals next. They're 2-0. They face the Saints after that. They could easily, heading into a bye week, be 0-4 for the, for the Detroit Lions. And then that entire building in a bye week, 0-4. Not a recipe for success for the Bob Quinn, Matt Patricia dynamic. The Buffalo Bills improved to 2-0 going on the road to the Miami Dolphins, dropping to 0-2, winning 31-28. John Daigle had this game for us. Daigle, we know week one. Josh Allen, 46 passing attempts, including a lot of rushing as well. Well, in this game, Josh Allen, 24-35, 4-17, four touchdowns. I know the opening two games have been against the Jets, 
have been against Dolphins. But let's say the world ends and the MVP has to be named today. Josh Allen would at least get some votes, wouldn't he? Correct. But also, we have to consider it was the Jets and the Dolphins. So let's just be very careful. Having said that, a flawless performance by Josh Allen, doing practically whatever he wanted. And the Dolphins' pass rushers were getting there. But the number of times he stepped up in the pocket and just slung his receivers open or gave to Stephon Diggs a 50-50 shot on balls that Diggs ultimately came down with. Really what happened here is you notice in the box score, Diggs is the one who exploded over John Brown, even though John Brown did have a 46-yard touchdown and finished with 82 yards and a score. But Byron Jones, who was covering Diggs, actually left in the first quarter with an injury. He was on the injury report as limited all week. And then Noah I. One, I can't pronounce his last name, so we have declared him no I. A talented prospect we both like, right? But he's also a rookie against Stephon Diggs, who, as Matt Harmon of Yahoo constantly highlights every year, is practically one of the league's best route runners, no matter the coverage thrown at you. And, I mean, there is some professor and one mixtape going on because Diggs broke Noah I's ankles on several routes, out-jumped him on several occasions, and was just clearly the better player. Um, Josh Allen as well, that 46-yard score to Brown, just throwing him open, just stepping into the pocket, throwing him open. Again, inside the 10-yard line, extending to the right side of the flats, throwing Gabriel Davis, Davis open, who actually made a splendid diving catch as well for the score. But it was just an unstoppable day for what we consider an MVP candidate, yes. Yeah, I mentioned... If the world ended, well, then we wouldn't have an MVP, Josh Norris. So I don't know why I, you know, walked down that street with us. Anyways, uh, a lot of people heading into the season, Daigle, not myself, but maybe some other guests we had on the podcast, were nervous about Stefan Diggs' fit in this offense, saying, oh, well, he already had great rapport with Cole Beasley and John Brown, and they don't pass the ball enough. Well, I think it has been defined through two weeks that again today, Stephon Diggs, 13 targets, eight receptions, 153 yards, and a touchdown. He is the alpha of this offense, and he's a must-play each and every week. Well, the concern was the volume for this offense, but as we talked about all last week, this is now a passing offense, or at least a get-the-ball-in-Josh-Allen's-hands-constantly offense, which then lends itself to more passes. Uh, And even today, only two carries, 35 attempts, but who cares when you're averaging just under 12 yards per attempt? I mean, all goes well. So both players, not one is standing out, both players are succeeding right now in this new-look offense that we should give Brian Dayball all the credit in the world for. Yeah, and John Brown had 82 yards and a score. Cole Beasley even had 70 yards. I do want to talk about this running game because, you know, both backs were drafted in fantasy drafts. Devin Singletary, 10 carries, 56 yards. Zach Moss, 8 carries, 37 yards. Singletary also had two receptions for 20 yards, and I don't see any for Zach Moss. I mean, this is a game where, you know, Buffalo was up 17 to 10 at halftime, 17 to 13 heading into the fourth quarter maybe some neutral or positive game script in those situations. Yet as a team, the backfield only had 18 carries nervous. 
I wouldn't say nervous. Uh, again, when you average 11.9 yards per attempt, that typically means little room for dump-offs, right? The running backs just aren't that involved. But Zach Moss, as we expected, was involved inside the 10, and in, in particular on the goal line. And uh, he was actually the one who they fake handoff to in the goal line, and thus then that touchdown became a play-action pass to fullback Reggie Gilliam. So it was because of Moss that that play happened. So I would say Moss was still on the goal line. That that's what we want. Yes, he needs to score to be valuable most of the time, yeah. but we can still look at his receiving production week one and consider him and Singletary, who continues to outcarry him, at least RB3s, you know, uh, low-end RB2s at worst, considering all the injuries that happened today. So maybe you still need that next week. Well, we'll get to the Miami Dolphins backfield in a second because I'm sure the uh, the analysis will be a little bit different. But let's start off with Ryan Fitzpatrick. I mean, I thought Ryan Fitzpatrick might have been the worst quarterback in the league in week one. Today, mm-hmm. he did complete 31 of 47 for 328 and two touchdowns. But that wasn't a Preston Williams, just 26 yards. It really wasn't Devontae Parker. And correct me if I'm wrong, he did have eight targets, five receptions, 53 yards and a score. But Mike Kosicki... Went to the moon today. 11 targets, 8 receptions, 130 yards and a score. Yeah, it was all Mike Sicky days. And if you notice, Isaiah Ford even had 79 yards receiving in the middle of the field because that's where the Dolphins just ate them up. Jasicki, uh, week one, I know he only had three catches for 30 yards on five targets, but still quietly involved, right? Uh, 16.6% target share. He had a 71% slot rate after leading the league in his position and slot rate last year and was still in on 73% of the Dolphins snaps. So the usage was there last week. The production just didn't come. Am I surprised it came against the Bills secondary? Absolutely. But he literally manhandled them. Even for his eight-yard touchdown to bring the Bills within one score, uh, he just literally boxed out Tredavious White, used his own body, and Fitzpatrick delivered a beautiful throw to the back shoulder. And that's what's funny is that we probably were in agreement that Fitzpatrick had a terrific chance to get benched in this game or at least going into week three. But he not only survived, but he flourished. He looked great in this game. Uh, even Preston Williams, one catch for 26 yards, but that one catch was pushing off Tredavious White and then getting open deep in man coverage. So all of them, even Devontae Parker, carried their own weight in this game, surprisingly. I mean, Kasicki averaged over 16 yards per reception, but it wasn't like boosted by one outrageous catch. You know, his long catch was of 27 yards. How did he do it? I mean, you mentioned a lot of how he did it already, but do you think it's translatable each and every week now where we can depend on him as one of the top 12 options at tight end moving forward? I think so. And again, we just chase the usage at tight end because even when we leave this week, we're going to see like Darren Fells and other guys in the top 12 because yeah. we hate that position weekly. But Jasicki, the usage will always be there. He'll always be running routes. And this one in particular, he literally just bullied his way. Like you said, it wasn't one catch. It was so much more than that. Every time you look up, like even his targets were downfield. He was fighting for every single inch he got. He's definitely a tight end one weekly among the options that we can at least know they're going to see passing game usage. Let's talk about the backfield briefly. Seven carries for Miles Gaskin, 46 yards. Seven carries for Matt Breida, 37 yards. I mean, both of those are high averages, just not a lot of volume. And then comes Jordan Howard, five carries, four yards, yet he gets the touchdown. I mean, from what I saw, seemed like Miles Gaskin operated as – at times, the lead running back. And then when Matt Breida came in, he did well. 
It's just an all-around avoid, isn't it? So middle of the week, Chan Gailey, the OC, came out and said that Miles Gaskin was only used over Matt Breida because Gaskin is the team's spread offense runner. But that wasn't the case. Like Matt Breida's role did not change in this game. In fact, it was Gaskin that got 13 touches if we include him getting six catches on seven targets, right? And Jordan Howard then comes in, and he's only the goal line back. But even with that role, totaled 6.4 fantasy points, the six coming from his one fall down score. So he still has no value. Matt Breida has no value. And Miles Gaskin, you know, 13 touches to Breida's eight in this game. Game. And now looking at the Jaguars defense that are or Jaguars team in particular that is playing up tempo and hanging in there against tougher opponents like Miles Gaskin will be serviceable in week three. Was this game really as close as the scoreboard indicates? I mean, 31 to 28. I mean, only three. That's much less than what the spread was heading into it. It was a so Josh Allen scored that touchdown to John Brown with 320 remaining, I believe. And then the Dolphins answered within the next minute, around 209 remaining uh, to Jasicki. So that's what made it 3120 and then 3128. Mm. But there were fireworks nonetheless. And that that was even including a lightning delay in the middle of the game that delayed the game for 36 minutes randomly. And then they came back out and didn't lose a beat. Just trying to extend your day, John Daigle. All right. The other game you had was not as not- fun. Not nearly as competitive. The Baltimore Ravens remain undefeated, remain putting up points on the scoreboard, and prove to 2-0 by absolutely destroying the Houston Texans, who fall to 0-2. This one, 33-16. Where to start with this one? I mean, it felt like the Ravens completely removed their foot from the pedal, leading 20-10 to at halftime. Seemed like they could do whatever they wanted, but it kind of resulted in not in terms of ridiculous fantasy scores for anyone. I mean, Lamar Jackson, 204 passing yards and a touchdown, just 54 rushing yards for him. Gus Edwards was the leading rusher, you know, just two carries for J.K. Dobbins. What was going on here with the flow of this Ravens offense and why not more points out there? Right now, the Ravens are not only one of the best teams in the entire league from the top down, but they are superior and it's not close to the Texans. And that's all that happened here. Even if you looked at Lamar Jackson's stats through two weeks, uh, 38 of 49 passes completed, 77% completion rate for 470 yards and four scores. It's not that impressive, but it's not a product of him not performing well. It's that the team is so good that they're not even on the field and they don't need to play at their full scale foot on the gas mentality. Uh, This game in particular, all they did was lean on the running backs and Lamar himself who had 14 carries this team combined for 37 carries and averaged 6.2 yards per carry because the Texans couldn't stop the run they leaned on their defense not only for four sacks but for Deshaun Watson constantly scrambling for his life and an uncreative scheme Kiki QT fumbling on the one drive they finally got something going and then of course Deshaun Watson under duress throws a interception that was an impressive catch to Marcus Peters so it's just the Ravens being good with every single man from the top down, and they just proved to be the better team. It's that simple. Yeah, like if I saw 33 points on the scoreboard, I would have expected like multiple touchdowns from Lamar Jackson. I would have expected a big day from Mark Andrews like he had in week one, but in this one, just three targets, one reception, 29 yards. You know, I would have expected a big day from Marquise Brown, six targets, five receptions, 42 yards, but it certainly just sounds like didn't have to put the foot in the gas. I do want to ask about J.K. Dobbins because this was kind of like a split backfield with him and Mark Ingram in week one. Is there anything we can take from this other than Mark Ingram 
drastically out-touching J.K. Dobbins, despite J.K. Dobbins doing a lot with a little bit in terms of 48 rushing yards on just two carries. And Mark Ingram's lone touchdown came on a fourth down direct snap that he just sprinted up the left side of the field for. But the story is Gus Edwards out-touching both or out-carrying both uh, yeah. t- with 10 carries. And so that's where Dobbins lost his carries since he did out-snap Gus Edwards in week one. Uh, you know, Dobbins one touch, of course, that's disappointing. That's unexpected. But again, this game was just brutal to begin with that I just don't think he was needed anyways. And that also explains why Edwards got touches over Mark Ingram. Well, the Ravens do have the chiefs next week in prime time on Monday Monday night night. football. So I think that'll be a time when they might put the pedal to the floor. All right. Houston Texans again, just 16 points after an abysmal week one as well. Deshaun Watson, much better than the last time he played the Ravens, but just 25 of 36 275, one touchdown, one interception, added 17 rushing yards. What, so far from your eyes, has Tim Kelly brought to the table that Bill O'Brien has not? Jordan Aiken seceding in garbage time. That's, uh, that's it. That's pretty much about it. Now, what's funny about this offense is that, all right, there, I mean, there are a lot of things to unpack here, despite them not doing anything on Sunday. Um, Will Fuller was started the game, I should say, and then was on the sideline at the trainer's table for majority of the first half, stretching out some part of his leg, his hamstring, I guess. I have no idea. Uh, Nothing was reported from the game. He tried to come out and play in the third quarter, and even his routes, like, I know if you look and you see the snap counts, you'll be, oh, like, Will Fuller played two-thirds of the snaps. Like, he just didn't see a target. They were lifeless routes. I mean, clearly something was wrong. And again, after the game, nothing has been reported at the time of this recording late Sunday night. So I'm sure we'll have some news in the coming days. I'm sure we're probably going to get a questionable tag on Fuller, and we're once again going to do this dance. We all love to do so much. The issue this year is that while DeAndre Hopkins is having a statue built in Glendale of his face, uh, Will Fuller, there is no play, there are no playmakers behind him now. Like, yes, Brandon Cooks got open over the top and looked impressive in this game, but you can't go in with this schedule, and in particular this next game against the Steelers, and expect Brandon Cooks and Darren Fells to be the playmakers because you, Bill O'Brien, yourself – guaranteed Randall Cobb the most guaranteed cash on the market among free agent receivers and you paid him a lucrative three-year 27 million dollar deal right and yet now he still only has seven useless catches in this offense it's just it's not explosive it's not anything right now and you can tell it is dragging Deshaun Watson down maybe uh Will Floyd just need a massage we all need a massage every once in a while (laughs) I need a massage it's only week two uh I mean you basically laid it out only question left is, one, did the offensive line play any better, like Titus Howard on the right side, Larry Tons on the left side, because that was a major issue in week one against the Chiefs, but also David Johnson, 11 carries, 34 yards. I mean, I know it was negative game script, just two receptions on four targets, 16 yards. I mean, we expected feature back work here without Duke Johnson, and all that we got was like 50 total yards. Well, to be fair, though, I mean, we got our bad touches we wanted. Like after in week one, being one of 10 backs to handle 73% of his backfield's touches, that's it. Uh, This game, he handled 100% of the touches. The thing is, they only amounted to 50 useless yards. So next week with all these injuries, you just have to ask yourself, do I want to start David Johnson for the guaranteed touches, even though we know he's likely going to go nowhere with them? And that 
unfortunately, seems to be the issue with him moving forward. Uh, another sneaky player for deeper leagues we will probably talk about on the waiver wire. I know it hasn't amounted to much just yet, but Miles Boykin has still played 40 snaps in week one and 48 snaps in week two. Love and it. if we get an up-tempo game on Monday night, like he's the one-game DFS captain guy, and he's the sneaky waiver person, I think we can immediately fill roster spots with. Uh, but we just need the Ravens to not be so good. The thing is, it doesn't matter when you run to Patrick Mahomes. It's going to be a good game. So I kind of like Miles Boykin to break out in week three. One of the most athletic wide receivers in the NFL, Miles Boykin is. And be sure to tune in to that waiver episode, which will be up on Tuesday mornings. Try to keep it to 20 minutes. I know you all loved it last week. And Daigle has a lot of work to do on it this week. Buddy, Talk you to have you then, no <laughs> The Los Angeles Rams improved to 2-0. and winning 37 to 19 on the road in Philadelphia. Patrick Darty had this game for us. I guess we should start with the winning team, Pat. Jared Goff, 20 of 27, three touchdowns, 267 yards. I believe I saw that he started off like 13 of 13, like perfect game script from Sean McVay. Was this offense just absolutely humming in the first quarter in the first half? He was 13 of 13, and yes, I mean, Jared Goff just felt like, I don't know what the actual numbers, but felt like this one play-action rollout after another where he was finding someone wide open for like a 15- or 20-yard gain. And they didn't hit in like any huge plays today. I think his longest gain was 28 yards, but just over and over and over again, they were finding like that 15- to 20-yard cushion. And just spreading the, the Rams are spreading the ball around more than ever. I think they had four players, at least five targets. And Tyler Higby's three touchdowns only came on five targets. Cooper Cup, uh, Robert Woods are both only on five to six targets. But he's just spreading it around so beautifully, involving everyone in the offense. And yet just today, just over and over again, finding that cushion in the middle of the field in between the levels of the defense and – a really, really good performance from Jared Goff on the road, which we know is a no sure thing with Jared Goff. Yeah, you know, and as a one o'clock game too, I mean, so much of the offseason, at least I discussed it, that Sean McVay was, you know, looking at what he had done in the last two or three years and wanted to update it week in and week out. We know that Jared Goff can throw really beautiful passes, have great placement when his offensive line plays at least like an adequate level or even a top five unit because they were a bottom five or seven unit last year. I would say like this Philadelphia Eagles pass rush, if you ask me ahead, ahead of the game, would have given them a lot of difficulty. And that certainly was not the case, it seemed like. No, it wasn't getting home today. And again, I mean, the Rams have always never been shy about using play action with Jared Goff, but it just seemed like every play to, at a certain point, I was like, they should just start selling out just – assume it's going to be play action every play, like blow them up for like a huge defensive game changing play or something. But obviously you can't approach defense that way, but yeah, it's weird. Cause we talked about over the off season, I mean, the Rams didn't make meaningful upgrades to this offensive line, but through two games, I mean, have we noticed, uh, I mean, we haven't noticed protection difficulties for Jared Goff. We haven't noticed him getting frazzled, you know, in two high profile games you know, against defensive fronts that could have maybe given him issues. And, uh, I mean, it's two games, but they seem to have solved uh, in-house a lot of issues that we weren't really sure how they were going to solve this year. And uh, it just looked like a very refreshed, uh, very revived uh, Rams, Sean McVay offense. You mentioned Cooper Cup. He had 81 yards. You mentioned Tyler Higby, 54 yards and three touchdowns. Robert Woods kind of saved his day with a rushing touchdown as well. I want to bring up the running backs. Cam Akers left with an injury. Malcolm Brown last week, you know, who led this team by a mile. 
in rushing and was the number one waiver pickup for a lot of people. Only had 11 carries for 47 yards and no targets. Daryl Henderson. Yes, that Daryl Henderson led this team in rushing. Friend 12 of the carries, podcast. 12 carries, <laughs> 81 yards, and a score. Is this translatable? Is this something that people can latch on to moving beyond this week? Or was it something that was just solely unpredictable that we don't know how to treat it moving forward? Well, first off, they said it couldn't be done. That Malcolm Brown could not Kevin Ogletree. <laughs> then Malcolm Brown could not Kevin Ogletree back to back week ones. You know, have a big week one and then kind of disappear the following week. And we we talked about it on multiple podcasts this week. We're like, yeah, this time will be different with Malcolm Brown. It's still the you know the three man backfield, but Malcolm has like earned the right to lead this backfield. And then even in a game where Cam Akers departs after a handful of touches, Malcolm Brown ends up with only eleven carries, zero receptions, and. He apparently picked up a finger injury late in the game, but I mean, Malcolm Brown looked like kind of what he was uh, like a career reserve who is good in a pinch, but you know, shouldn't be a feature back where then Daryl Henderson came in and looked really kind of like the player of John Daigle's dreams, uh, 14 touches, 120 yards and looked uh, he, you know, very dangerous side to side and going upfield. I mean, he looked like a gear shifter. Like he was finding a new gear with each new level of the defense. He looked, it looked pretty scary. I mean, it looked like a player that, yeah, I mean, kidding aside, we thought maybe we'd be getting last year. And it's just 14 touches in one game. I mean, Daryl Henderson looked dangerous and maybe someone kind of crying out for more work. But we just don't know how it's going to go. I mean, Cam Akers, we don't know how serious the rib injury is. Malcolm Brown, we don't know how serious the finger injury is. And they seem you know, pretty committed to not getting – he seems like, you know, Sean McVay just feels like he doesn't want to get trapped with this – all the offense depending on one back. Like he seemed like he's like over a one back system. So I wouldn't be surprised if even if players are like showing out one week, if it doesn't necessarily translate to the next week. I mean, it was a highly, highly impressive performance from Daryl Henderson today. And the Rams do get the Buffalo Bills next week, which will be one of the best, if not the best one o'clock game in week three, moving on the Eagles, just 19 points. Carson Wentz, 26 of 43, 242 yards. No sacks taken, but two interceptions. He ha- he did have a rushing touchdown. But, Pat, what's going on here? What's wrong? I don't know because, yeah, the protection, not only did he not take zero sacks, like watching the game, you never like had the thought like, oh, Carson Wentz is running for his life. You know, or Carson Wentz is getting knocked down again. He lost another offensive lineman this game. They lost their left guard uh, very early in the game. But that just never felt like the issue. So it was just really inaccurate passes, just not – he just wasn't crisp out of sync. And maybe it's the, maybe it's the fact that there's so many new offensive linemen. Maybe it's the fact that, you know, it's not like an entirely new supporting cast. I mean, Deshaun Jackson's still kind of new to him. Jalen Rager barely practiced. Miles Sanders barely practiced the summer. And you hope that's just what it is. But I mean, one of the interceptions in particular, just a horrible decision in the red zone threw into double coverage off a of play fake. This seemed like he just didn't see the defense threw it right to uh, the Rams defense. And, now he's four interceptions through two games that totally didn't hit till week 10 last year, I believe I read today. And it is not Carson Wentz goes through these phases. It seems like, you know, but this is like the least crisp he's been since he kind of emerged as like MVP contender Carson mm-hmm. Wentz in 2017. And maybe there's just too much, too many things unsettled around him. But I mean, this was not a good statistical performance. It was not a good eye test performance. I'm sure it wasn't a good advanced stats performance. It was just not a good performance from Carson Wentz. Yeah, you know, he did so much with so little towards the end of last season that now he has a lot, and now he's putting this out. Like, that 
end zone throw that he had to JJ's Orsega Whiteside that was like he tried to fit it between two defenders. It was ridiculous. It's like, why even attempt that throw? It makes zero sense. It, um, it, it, it was so bad that something had to have gone haywire. Like somehow he just didn't see, I mean, didn't see something or something. Cause yeah, if he was actually trying to thread that needle, uh, highly poor decision. And they were driving. Like if momentum is real, they absolutely had it at that point. Oh, it was awful. Anyways, Miles Sanders returned to the starting lineup and got feature back workload, 20 carries, 95 yards and a score. he also had three receptions on seven targets for 36 yards. Pat, that has to leave everyone optimistic that even in a negative game script like that, even in a bad game like that, Miles Sanders can still put out a performance like this. Yeah, I mean, I was very worried. I mean, coming into the game, barely practiced for several weeks with a hamstring injury. And then, you know, on an offense that's coming off a really bad performance and you're facing Aaron Donald on the interior of the Rams defense. And then he loses a fumble on the opening drive, like a second or third touch of the season. Fumbling think was an issue for Miles Sanders in college, but it wasn't really an issue as a rookie last year. You know, I already had concerns and he loses the fumble and I'm like, oh boy, this is going to be a long, long day. But no, I mean, like almost 25 touches. Uh, again, running behind an offensive line, missing both starting guards, but very consistently getting five to six yards per clip, uh, looking like really the player we we're hoping he would look like. Boston Scott did look good as a change of pace, but I joked a few times early in the game that I was concerned that Boston Scott always looks as good as a uh, Miles Sanders does, but that was not the case as the game wore on. And uh, yeah, a guy who really had a lot of things conspiring against him had an RB one performance today. And uh, so, yeah, it was a very, very encouraging And who I believe the Eagles have a, the Bengals in week three, correct? Ooh. Uh, like the ultimate get right spot. So going to need that to be a get right spot for Carson Wentz. And it could be like a, a like getting like a really getting an RB one rhythm uh, for Miles Sanders. Quickly, before we move on, want to ask about these pass catchers. Deshaun Jackson, nine targets, six receptions, 64 yards. Jalen Rager, four targets, four receptions, 41 yards. You know, Zach Ertz wasn't used nearly as much um, as he seemed like in week one. You know, 42 yards, and especially Dallas Goddard, you can say that. Eight targets, four receptions, 30 yards. Is it just going to be difficult each week knowing if, if any of these players are startable or not? especially with the wide receivers who seem to need to live off a big play in order to hit a touchdown right now? Well, it's just a strange day because none of them like stood out. Like I can't tell you like an individual play from Zach Ertz. I can't tell you an individual mm. play from Deshaun Jackson in this game or Jalen Regar, you know, who had the, the big catch in week one. And I mean, the, to me, the takeaway so far is that through two games, Dallas Goddard, he only had four catches for 30 yards today, but he has 17 targets through, through, through two games, eight targets uh, each, each of the first two games, I mean, that's like gangbusters usage, obviously, for a tight end. And, like, if, if this is becoming real, which I remember Ian Harditz, ex-Roto-Roller, last week tweeted out, like, the split since, like, last week 10. I think he's drawn Zach Ertz, like, a target standstill. And maybe it's time to start taking this seriously, that, like, Dallas Goddard really is ascending. Zach Ertz is beginning to be phased out as, like, the alpha weapon of this offense. And I'm, I'm still probably going to give Zach Ertz uh, the t- – the, Top five tight end one benefit of the doubt next week is like Cincinnati Bengals. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's the main takeaway for two weeks is like eight targets each of the first two games for Dallas Goddard after the way he finished last year. Like we have to start taking notice of that. I mean, if the Eagles, let's live in this fancy word for a second, Pat. If the Eagles lose to the Bengals next week, I mean, how many questions are going to be asked in Philadelphia about the quarterback, about the coach, about this team? 
Uh, not rooting for that. Certainly not rooting for that, but we like chaos. All right, moving on. <laughs> the Indianapolis Colts, speaking of chaos, lost in a disastrous fashion last week to the Jacksonville Jaguars, but they did topple the Minnesota Vikings today, 28-11. to On the Colts, Phillip Rivers, 19-25, 214, a touchdown and interception. That's fine. John Taylor, we knew was going to get a heavy workload without Marlon Mack the rest of the season, and he absolutely did that. 26 carries, 101 yards, one score on the ground, two receptions, and nine yards. But, Pat, the name I don't see on the rushing column, on the receiving column, except for one catch and one target for four yards, is Naeem Hines. That might be the biggest headache of week two. Yeah, I mean, he got out-touched 28-1 to by Jonathan Taylor. It was twenty to one at halftime. Uh, he got out touched nine to one by Jordan Wilkins. I mean, that was like a garbage time thing. And I mean, if we're looking for narratives, I mean, Jonathan Taylor only had two targets, so it's not like Jonathan Taylor like firmly established himself as like the passing down back or anything today. I mean, just maybe they kept kicking field goals, but the Colts were playing with the lead, you know, the whole game and playing comfortably. And I guess maybe. This the check down of the running back just didn't enter into the thought process today, even though it's a very safe play. Um, but yeah, it was Jonathan Taylor had literally 20 targets at halftime or 20 carries at halftime. And Naheem Hines, I mean, so Jonathan Taylor is he's gonna live up to his RB1 destiny, it appears. Like this was the performance where despite you know only averaging like 3.9 yards per carry, not busting a big play, like he looked a gear faster than the defense in the first half. He was just running in one obvious running situation after another. Uh, yeah, I don't think we're going to get one Naheem Hines target most weeks. But yeah, so the thing, that, and obviously in this situation we'll watch, will be Jonathan Taylor's targets. And like, so if he out targets Naheem Hines again in week three, then maybe we'll have a narrative, a developing situation on our hands. But I, I think Naheem Hines, you hold on to him in PPR leagues. Uh, but th- there is genuine danger there, though. Um, he's not Austin Eckler. Naheem Hines is no Austin Eckler. Before we move on to the other passing game elements, what happened to Paris Campbell? Just one carry for seven yards. Yeah, it was bad. It was a nice gain on a, a sweep, an end around. I, maybe it was an end around. I don't know. I don't want to uh, misdescribe the play. Misdescribe is also not a word. Well, uh, it is now. If you're listening at home. And yeah, Harrison Smith, I mean, didn't put a helmet on his knee. Just kind of arrived awkwardly. And just it was hard to tell what happened, but something bad happened to Paris Campbell's knee. And I mean, he was down in agony. He was in tears on the cart. I think the early report was that he avoided a torn ACL, Hmm. um, but not a great development for a team. That's not that deep of a receiver core for a player who was injured most of his rookie year that we just wanted to see, uh, you know, had a nice week one seemed destined for just a great fantasy role in this offense. So yeah, I think the good initial news is not season ending, but yeah, very awkward play that that looked like a season ender. So basically, Paris Campbell playing at any point this season will kind of be a bonus at this point. T.Y. Hilton, five targets, three receptions, 28 yards. I believe he had a couple drops, including like a walk-in touchdown. Um, Michael he, Pittman, in his absence, Paris Campbell, six targets, four receptions, 37 yards. But Mo Alley-Cox <laughs> stepping in for... Mr. Jack Doyle? Jack Doyle. <laughs> I was about to say Jack Dorsey for some reason, but Jack Doyle, <laughs> six targets, five receptions, 111 yards. I'm sure that's translatable each and every week, Pat. Well, he used to play basketball. I don't know if you knew this or not. Did not? Uh, used to play basketball. Uh, he had a really nice play. I mean, so he, you know, he's supposed to be like a guy who goes up and gets it and make plays. And he went up and got it at Holton Hill near the goal line for like almost a 30 yard gain. And 
looked like someone who could be an impressive role player for this offense. And I mean, Jack Doyle had kind of disappointing week one usage. It's kind of week to week with his injury. Maybe Jack Doyle's on the way out. Maybe after three or four years of like hyped practice reports from Mo Ali Cox, this is finally going to happen. Someone at the very least could be like a tight end two streamer, but yeah, you know, someone we've heard about for literally years at Roto World. I mean, we've done lots of off season blurbs on this, what we'd call shorts and t shirts all star. But he more than tripled his previous career high for yardage today. He had never had a 40-yard game, and he had 111 yards. So, yeah, you can't say to go out, rush, and add Mo Ali Cox. But, yeah, keep him in mind, basically, in the tight end two streamer conversations. And with T.Y. Hilton, by the way, uh, it was only one drop, but it was a walk-in 44-yard touchdown. Just a blatant, inexplicable drop after two blatant, inexplicable drops in week one. And yeah, even though he's a veteran player, you have to kind of be worrying about his confidence right now. Are, is that combination relationship just not clicking right now with he and Philip Rivers? Or are there big games in store and it's just, you know, a small sample size of two games with just some, you know, weird variance plays in between? This is probably a weird variant. I mean, as far as I can tell, the naked eye, T.Y. Hilton is still separating. And yeah. the timing doesn't seem to be bad. I mean, these are these passes are right there. He's just not catching them. And yeah, I mean, not the kind of mistakes you'd expect from a player like T.Y. Hilton, but it's probably a fluke. And yeah, I mean, I think we can still, there's still wide receiver two optimism for T.Y. Hilton. I mean, he is a burner on the wrong side of 30 now. I mean, these things do happen, but I still have wide receiver two optimism for T.Y. Hilton. Let's close with the Minnesota Vikings. It's odd, Wait, Pat. Let's just, just skip it. I mean, I'm, I mean, I feel like no one has watched the Vikings through two weeks, and why would you? I mean, this is easily one of the worst teams in the NFL right now. And that's not being discussed. I mean, no. <laughs> they're awful. Kirk Cousins, 11 of 26, 113 yards and three interceptions. Dalvin Cook had 63 rushing yards and a touchdown. That's great. But like these receiving totals, these passing totals, it's disgusting. And it's not like the Colts defense is like, you know, no. a behemoth, like one to fear. <laughs> but I mean, are the Vikings as bad as they appear to be in the stat sheet, Pat? Well, I know one of the things you and I always joke about and that you probably love is when I recite my own tweets. But I said today, you know, what do you call uh, the New York Jets with Dalvin Cook? Uh, you call them the Minnesota Vikings. That's what we were seeing Sunday. And this is now three of four halves on the young season where the Vikings have pretty much just straight up been unwatchable. Like this was unwatchable today. And you see a team that's desperately missing Stefan Diggs that – apparently vastly underestimated how big of a part Stefan Diggs was for their offense. Cause aside from T Y Hilton, there's no one getting open and creating their own offense. And just I mean, a truly horrid performance from Kirk cousins, 11 completions, three interceptions, all three of which were on him were bad decisions. Like he bounces back from these kind of games, but why is Kirk cousins still having these kind of games, you know, hmm. like a genuinely pathetic performance and, their skill core is not great, but it's not like it's the worst in the NFL. There's a lot of offenses that don't even have an Adam Thielen. There's a lot of offenses that don't have an Irv Smith. They don't have a Dalvin Cook who can catch passes the way Dalvin Cook does out of the backfield. So it's not like the cupboard's bare. It's emptier than it was last year. It's not great. But there's enough here where you should be completing more than 11 passes against the Indianapolis Colts, especially in a game where you're trailing the whole game. At least get some layups and – uh yeah, there's very little to cling to. It's, he took a safety today. Like, he's standing in the end zone. It seemed like it was, like, seriously, like 20 minutes. It wasn't one of those safeties where they, they were, like, on him immediately. He was just, like, standing there with the ball and got safety. It was just very, very dismaying performance from Kirk Cousins. 
Adam Thielen did get eight targets, 31 yards, and three receptions. I feel like, Pat, I shouldn't even mention any of these other pass catchers because this is truly a team that you just start Dalvin Cook and you just start Adam Thielen. And, you know, I could ask you if you could see a sliver of hope, a way for this team to change, but I doubt you can based on this game. Like, there's probably nothing that they've put out there in the last two weeks that you can say, oh, yeah, if Gary Kubiak does that more moving forward, then it makes sense, but you hit on it. Not replacing Stefan Diggs with a vertical element off play action when he led the NFL in 20 plus yard touchdowns last year. That is just an egregious mistake so far. It is, and especially with, you know, he used a first round pick on a player we heavily debated at Roto World. I mean, Justin Jefferson, I don't think will ever, even if he'll be a good NFL player, is not ever going to be an elite separator. So not someone who's going to be like creating instant offense, I feel like, for Kirk Cousins as a rookie, like someone who needs to be more part of like a well-oiled machine offense. And yeah, this is not going to be that offense. And the Vikings get the Titans, the Texans, and the Seahawks yeah. in their next three games. So <laughs> it might even get worse. Could start 0-5. That won't be fun. The Pittsburgh Steelers at home improved to 2-0, and beating the Denver Broncos 26-21. That drops the Broncos to 0-2 on the season. Denny Carter had this game for us. Denny, I think we all saw, since it was the spotlight game last week, what this Steelers offense looked like in week one. It was I'm not going to say a change Ben Roethlisberger, but a lot of talented receivers, but maybe more importantly, a hobbled James Conner. Well, he entered this game not on the injury report, and I can see 16 carries, 106 yards, and a touchdown. It must have been James Conner's day. It was. Uh, I mean, a, that's a little bit uh, skewed because he had a 59-yard rush uh, mm-hmm. when the Steelers were running out the clock late in the game after the Broncos made a bit of, bit of a comeback and they decided to bleed the clock, and he just kind of broke out and, uh, and went 59 yards. So without, without that run, his day was pretty unspectacular. Uh, he did have the touchdown, of course. Uh, but I think that the, the, the story overall with that Pittsburgh backfield is that Benny Snell – is I guess not a thing, you know, <laughs> until until James Conner is not healthy. Um, but it was very clear that he is and will be the workhorse going forward. I'm not sure what happened last Monday night. I mean, I know that he he did injure his ankle supposedly. He practiced all week fully, so it, that's a little bit strange. Um, but yeah, if you have Snell on your on your bench, I think just. Keep him there. I think he's a good stash, uh, but he is certainly not usable if Connor is healthy. Yeah, I mentioned it. 16 carries for James Connor, just three for Benny Snell. James Connor also had two catches for 15 yards. Jalen Samuels had one. Benny Snell had one. So I guess we're back to being feature back status for James Connor. Also, want to ask you about these wide receivers. You know, Julius Smith Schuster, eight targets, seven receptions, 48 yards. Chase Claypool got involved with a massive 84 yard touchdown to go along with three catches, but it was Deontay Johnson's day. Yeah. I mean, 13 targets, eight receptions, 92 yards, and a touchdown. Is it too early to say that Deontay Johnson has emerged as the Steelers' number one wide receiver in 2020? I honestly don't think it is too soon. I mean, I don't know how long we have to wait. You know, it's only 16-game season, and and it, it's, uh, it does pay, usually in fantasy, to – um, you know, read the tea leaves. And, and that's what that's what you might be doing here if you're seeing that uh, Johnson is dominating targets. I think he, he now has 23 targets over two weeks uh, for the Steelers. And I, I just, I, I see him being the 
the 1A to maybe Juju's 1B at best for Juju. So, um, you know, if you got Johnson in the, I don't remember where he was going, sixth round, seventh round, something mm-hmm. like that, uh, I think you got a good one. I think you, you have a, a legit uh, potential wide receiver one in fantasy. Yeah, and with Juju working in the slot, Deontay, we know Ben loves his outside receivers, yeah. especially as after catch threats and downfield playmakers. And it certainly seems like Deontay Johnson is feeling that. How did Ben look? I mean, he lost a starting right tackle. He lost a starting right guard in week one. You know, Denver has also been down some pass rushers this year. Was he able to be given time with his 311 yards, two touchdowns and one interception performance? Yeah, I mean, the 84 yard strike uh, to Claypool helped a lot with it with that yardage total. Uh, it seemed like they were intent on getting the ball out pretty quickly. Um, I, I don't think that the, the game plan is for him to do what kind of old Ben Roethlisberger did and, and scramble and duck and spin and get out of tackles and, uh, and then eventually, you know, get, get nicked up. Uh, I think that they're really trying to avoid that. He is certainly trying to avoid that, it seems. Uh, so I, I think we have a kind of a new uh, Ben Roethlisberger, both, you know, as far as appearance, I mean, he's he he's much lighter and and, and much more fleet of foot in the pocket, uh, and and we saw him, you know, get rid of the ball a lot uh, today against the Broncos in situations where he may have have not done that in the past. Well, on the Broncos side, you had Drew Lock attempt five passes, complete one for twenty yards, and then exit with it was not a fumble. What was it? Was it a hand injury? Was it a shoulder injury? Yeah, he just got smushed into the turf um, mm. by a defender, and it wasn't a dirty hit or anything. But you could just tell he was stumbling, trying to keep his balance. You know, had no idea there was a defender behind him, and you could just see it coming. And uh, uh, he immediately reached for his shoulder. It looked like his throwing shoulder, right shoulder, mm. and uh, was writhing for for a minute, and then went to the sideline and spent a lot of time in the blue tent, and then went to the locker room. I. I, um, I, we were hearing that it's two to six weeks, uh, from Adam Schefter and, and some others, but, uh, I, I read just before we went on here that there's one Broncos beat reporter who says it may not be an AC joint injury, like first thought. Now he didn't say whether that would, it, it was worse than that or better than that. Um, but I would be surprised if, if we see Drew lock back anytime in the next month. Yikes. I mean, you mentioned two to six weeks as a possibility. Next up, it's the Buccaneers, then the Jets, then the Patriots, and the Dolphins. Some winnable games in there. And the Broncos better start winning after this 0-2 start. Let's hit on a few names. We know that Philip Lindsay also was going to miss this week. That means Melvin Gordon got feature back status. 19 carries, 70 yards with a long run of 17, just two receptions on three targets, but did have a receiving score. How did he look? Better than week one? Yeah, yes, and he had lots of room to, to run. I, I, I tweeted early in the game that uh, it really looked, this is before the lock injury, of course, uh, that it looked like Gordon was in for a big day if the Broncos could keep it close. And, and of course, that was a big question going into this game. It, it seemed like a lopsided kind of game. It ended up being pretty much that, except for a, a late Denver uh, comeback. But, you know, Gordon had huge lanes to run through, almost kind of looked uh, you know, disoriented about how, how much room he had to run early in the game against Pittsburgh. Uh, and, and I, you know, without Lindsay in there, I think that he just has a, a huge touch based floor in that offense. I should have mentioned Jeff Driscoll was the one who replaced Drew Locke. Yeah. Jeff Driscoll went 18 of 34, 256, two touchdowns, 
one interception. You know, he got 66 yards to Cortland Sutton just on three receptions. Jerry Judy got 62 yards. Noah Fant had 57 yards and a score. Uh, you know, it's Denny entering the season. All the eggs were shoved in the Drew Lock basket. I'm not saying like everyone anticipated an injury mm-hmm. here, but people thought that that's a lot of faith the Broncos are showing in Drew Lock when he hadn't shown much last season. Uh, just, you know, a handful of starts. Cam Newton was available, so on and so forth. How do you think this offense is going to go if Drew Locke is, excuse me, if Jeff Driscoll is the quarterback moving forward? It's definitely a downgrade, but Driscoll played admirably, I thought. You know, he is very gritty, taking huge hits and and, deli- and delivering some some really great passes, especially to Jerry Judy. He seemed to be really hmm. uh, zeroed in on, on Judy once he came in. Uh, you know, I think Driscoll adds just from a fantasy standpoint, he, he might give you some rushing upside. Uh, we, we've seen that in his limited action, I think, in Detroit. Uh, and, you know, I'm not adding him in 12-team leagues, but I think, you know, in Superflex and two QB leagues, you may you may want to dabble with, with some Driscoll in the coming weeks, especially because, you know, the Broncos are going to be behind. They're going to be facing negative game script. He's going to have to throw a lot, and uh, hopefully you get a little bit of that, you know, the, of, of that rushing opportunity along uh, along the way. Yeah, like I mentioned, in two weeks, they face the Jets in a primetime matchup. Everyone wants to oh. see Jeff Driscoll versus Adam Gase in primetime. That's oh, going to be that is it's going to be wonderful. We're going to assign you a, that game, Denny, just to let you know. Okay, uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> this is hazing. <laughs> uh, all right. The other game you had was the Arizona Cardinals improving to 2-0, which is just awesome. Uh, they yeah. beat Washington 30-15. to We saw a special Kyler Murray. Then we did it, Carter. 26 of 38, 286, one touchdown, one interception in the air. Because then on the ground, on eight carries, yes, eight carries, Kyler Murray had 67 yards and another two scores. Yeah. I mean, he has, I believe, over 20 rushing attempts now through two two weeks. And th- this adds uh, an element to his fantasy appeal. And, and it's not that he wasn't appealing to come into the season. But, um, you know, he's on pace for far more rush attempts this year than he was last year. Mm-hmm. And that and that really adds something to his weekly uh, appeal. You know, I mean, it, it gives him a floor, but it also provides a massive ceiling um, for him on a weekly basis, no matter what kind of game script the, the Cardinals face. Um, yeah, he looked totally in control uh, of this game. Th- there were a couple, uh, some... Uh, questionable throws uh, early on hmm. kind of fadeaways <laughs> fade, fade away lobs kind of look a little bit russell wilson-esque except for they weren't very accurate and um and, but he you know on the ground he once he got out of the pocket defenders were basically looked like they were just stuck in cement couldn't touch him um he his his rushing second rushing touchdown um he was he was dead to rights in front of two washington defenders and easily got around them for the score so um, you know, he has just an amazing uh, upside with with that rushing potential. I mean, his le- his legs move like three times as fast <laughs> as any other football player on the field. I do want to ask because, you know, this is a Washington defensive front that we talked a lot about last week. It's loaded with first round picks. It gave the Philadelphia Eagles and Carson Wentz a ton of headaches last week. Mm-hmm. Was that just not the case here with Arizona? Like they were able to protect and then Kyler was just able to completely dice up their secondary as well. He was flushed out of the pocket pretty often, especially in the first half. I think that I think you saw the the football team defensive line get maybe a little bit tired in the second half because mm. uh, it was it was very fast paced and the Cardinals had the ball for a while there in the third quarter. 
so that that may have had an impact uh, on on the defensive line. But I think Murray is just more elusive uh, than 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 Wentz, and I think that's what it comes down to. But that you know that Washington defensive line is uh, is something. I mean, they I've watched them two weeks in a row now, and they are not to be messed with. If if Washington had a couple more elements, they'd they'd be in business with that line. Kenyon Drake had 22 touches for 95 total yards. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins, once again, was the featured player in the passing game. Nine targets, eight receptions, 68 yards, and a score. I'm guessing because of the positive game script, this team didn't really have to really force it at the start of the second half since it was 20 to nothing at halftime. I do want to ask you, I mean, we saw Christian Kirk at 57 yards. Larry Fitzgerald hauled in all seven of his targets for 50 yards. Mm -hmm. But Andy Isabella is a name. That I see yeah. on here, you know, and Andy Isabella is a player that, you know, people were excited for in four wide receiver sets heading into 2019. That didn't work out. We know that Arizona was second in four wide receiver sets in the NFL after week one. Is he, I mean, again, just two targets, 67 yards, but is his role kind of growing here a little bit possibly? It seems so. Yeah, I'm actually excited to see the uh, route running data and the snap data from from this game. I think that it will tell us really where Isabella is um, mm-hmm. on the um, pecking order and in the pecking order for the, for the Cardinals. You know, he wasn't heavily targeted here, but um, you know, he is an incredibly speedy guy who got past the defense. Actually uh, Murray underthrew him on the first long completion. Uh, he would have had a, a long touchdown, 70 or 80 yard touchdown on that play, but he had to just stop in his tracks in order to uh, let the ball come to him. So, uh, you know, he could have a, cons- a somewhat consistent role. I, I really can't see him t- t- commanding the kind of target share, though, that would make him like a very comfortable fantasy star. I, I, I think it's, you know, it's it's Hopkins and then everybody else in this offense. And it'll be really hard to tell, you know, who between Isabella uh, uh, Fitzgerald and C- Christian Kirk is going to be the the second guy, you know, for that for that week. Makes sense. All right. Looking at Washington real quick, one and one now after last week's win over the Philadelphia Eagles. Again, all 15, all 15 of their points were scored in the second half. I'm looking mm-hmm. at Dwayne Haskins' numbers, just super average, 19 of 33, 223, one touchdown, four sacks. He was able to support a monster day from Terry McLaurin, though. Ten targets, seven receptions, 125 yards, and one touchdown. So at least we have that to hang on to. Yeah, uh, you know, McLaurin – you know, kind of like we thought coming into the season, thrived in in negative game script. And as soon as Washington got down by a lot, and they had to abandon you know any semblance of a, of a balanced offensive attack, uh, you know, McLaurin really came to the forefront, and uh, Haskins you know, peppered him with targets in the second half. And you know, he's he's so fast that even in, when he was double teamed. He, he would catch the ball and just get right past defenders. Just an, an amazing speed. I hadn't really appreciated it last year, honestly. But but, but seeing him really really focusing on him uh, showed that today against the Cardinals. I, I I do think you know like last week, if Washington is going to have positive script, uh, McLaurin's going to have trouble producing fantasy wise. Hmm. And because um, like last week against the Eagles, they really shut it down. That that that's a it's a bad fantasy situation if Washington is going to be ahead. So uh, I would feel confident. I would feel more confident rolling with McLaurin coming into games where Washington is a, is a heavy underdog like this game. That That's interesting because Scott Turner, what we saw him do last year when the Panthers were leading or trailing was 
throw a lot and, you know, be one of the highest paced teams in the NFL. So maybe he's just not comfortable with his Washington personnel yet to do that right now in that offensive line, maybe? That's a, that's a good question. And that could be it. I mean, uh, I, I think that they want to hide Haskins as much as possible. I, yeah. I, I think that Haskins is really, you know, definitely not the kind of quarterback you want to have to dr- drop back with the defense having their ears pinned back, you know, n- knowing knowing what's coming. You know, um, he's not going to do well in that situation very often. And he didn't today, you know, mo- yeah. for the most part, he he, he didn't. Uh, but McLaurin really thrives in that in that sort of situation, as we saw. On that negative game script, Antonio Gibson definitely outtouched Peyton Barber this week, which was the inverse last week when there was some positive game script, right? So Antonio Gibson today, 13 carries, 55 yards, one touchdown on the ground, still kind of amazing. Just two targets, one catch for negative three yards in the air. It seems like they, I mean, it's just two weeks, so how much can we really say, right? But they certainly added more on Gibson's plate this week than they did last week, especially this carry inside the 10-yard line, I believe. Yeah, yeah, he got the touchdown. It was nice to see him uh, get some red zone action after uh, Peyton Barber got all of the action or almost all of the red zone action in week one, as as un, as not thrilling as that was. Uh, and, you know, Gibson... I, I think we're going to see him slowly integrated into this offense, uh, as Scott Turner said a few days ago. You know, he said to reporters, um, "We want Gibson to be a bigger part of the offense than he was in Week One, um, and we will slowly but surely get to that point." Uh, I, I really think that people who you know drafted uh, Gibson uh, should could and should feel increasingly confident in uh, being able to plug him in in the flex. I, I would obviously like to see him uh, get more involvement in the passing game. And that would seem to be sort of a natural fit uh, with it, with his skill set. Um, but, you know, J.D. McKissick is still a thing. And hmm. um, I, I think as long as McKissick is getting consistent snaps, especially in, in passing situations, that's going to put a little bit of a, of a damper on, uh, on Gibson. Last one. Logan Thomas was an ad in every single platform this week. Was this a situation of good process, but somewhat bad results because Thomas saw nine targets, four receptions for 26 yards? Yeah, I mean, I think we all would have signed up for nine targets uh, yeah. coming into this game. Someone <laughs> said, uh, you know, you know, will you sign this paper if it says that your, your waiver wire tight end will get nine targets? They say yes. I mean, it's no Dalton Schultz, but it's, you know, it's something. Uh, so, I, yeah, I, I think, you know, it, it was good process. You know, the results were not fantastic. That's part, partly because Haskins just had a few really bad throws to uh, Thomas when he was open. You know, I mean, he, he wouldn't have had a huge day, um, but it would have been better than the, the, the kind of meager stat line that he had. So, I, you know, I think that he, he's still a potential starter in, in, in 12-team leagues. In a game that was discussed a lot on our preview podcast, maybe even a little bet between John Diggle and I, the 49ers more than covered the seven-point spread, destroying the New York Jets 31-13. to 13. Kyle Dvorak had that game for us. But Kyle, I mean, it was not pretty. It was not with the same personnel that the 49ers went into it with. After going 14-16 of 16 for two touchdowns and 131 yards, Jimmy Garoppolo left. And the same can be said for Raheem Mostert, who had eight carries for 92 yards and a score with – an 80-yard touchdown run on the first play of the game. Yeah, it was supposedly uh, the turf at MetLife was a problem that people cited as uh, maybe a reason that so many players, I I have 
not quite as old as some people who've watched football for a while, but I've seen a lot of football. I'm not sure I've seen a game ever have this many just like simple soft tissue injuries. It wasn't anything like it wasn't very like terrible injuries outside of Nick Bosa, who's been lost for the year. There was nothing absurd. It was just every player nicked up at some point, like even guys like Chris Hogan, like he, he came back to the game. He was out for a point. Yeah, the offense for the 49ers looked good when they had the full cast, but that was for about a half. Mostert and Garoppolo both finished out the half. They ended up going to the locker room with like 10 seconds left on the clock and they looked good. They were clicking. It wasn't, you know, they weren't boat racing the Jets, but they didn't really have to. So it wasn't surprising. They kind of stuck to their ground game, didn't do much, and it was all good. Even Jordan Reed looked good coming back from, hmm. you know, he's, it's been so long since we've seen a consistently healthy Jordan Reed on a good offense too. So he looked good. He did quite a good George Kill impression scores twice. And of all players come out of it healthy, he came out healthy. So two things. What were the injuries? Like Jimmy Garoppolo, I know he played the entire first half and then just didn't return after halftime. Was it an ankle injury? Was it a knee injury? And then what was the case with Mostert here too? Because he was in store for a monster day until this happened. Yeah, I'll try and give you the rundown. So high ankle for Jimmy Garoppolo. That uh, it kind of depends on the severity. We're not sure yet. That could be a few weeks. It could be up to two months. So I think normally you'd be kind of okay with that in the sense of this team is built to their defense can be fine. Raheem Mostert can be incredible. Their defense lost Nick Bosa to assumedly, you know, there will be tests to confirm, but ACL tear has him out for the year likely. Solomon Thomas would have stepped into a bigger role. Typically a rotational player, kind of a disappointment since they drafted him, but he would have been forced to take on a bigger role. Not a, not a confirmed like ACL injury, but it didn't look good. He was carted off on the play after Bosa went down. I think there are trains in my background if that's going to be a problem, but that is, uh, I, that, that's no one's train. I, I make the joke that someone's train is leaving the station. No one's train is leaving the station. There was, it was a horrible Kyle, game. If, if you, Kyle, if you've ever listened to the podcast, I, have. I, I, I live on <laughs> yeah. a, like at the train station in Connecticut. So you and I are just like of like minds here. I, you, we just roll with it, right? That's what we do with yeah. the trains when they go by. I, yeah, I could have made – it's the Jarek McKinnon train leaving the station, I guess, because Devin Coleman had a pretty poor showing in, in service of Raheem Mostert, who they said his injury was – I think it was literally just described as like had a knee issue. So it seems like he's probably more nicked up. Shanahan described him that way. He seems as more of a guy who maybe misses a week or two, gives some run to Tevin Coleman and Jarek McKinnon. Jarek McKinnon looked good, by the way, in a few in a few snaps, but he looked good. So Mostert probably coming back soon. Garoppolo, not a massive long-term injury, but they'll be without him for a little bit. Nick Bosa, almost certainly out for the year. Solomon Thomas is still pretty up in the air. I think that's the bulk of it from the 49er side, but I don't know. There were so many. But it's also a team that entered without George Kittle, that entered yeah. without Debo Samuel, that entered without Richard Sherman, like a handful of other players that we can keep going on and on. Mm-hmm. No one has been bitten more by injuries through two games than the San Francisco 49ers. I do want to ask about Brandon Ayuk because he did make his rookie debut today wasn't heavily featured three targets two receptions 21 yards but also I might point to you know the game script not needing him to be heavily involved you know 21 to 3 at halftime from what you saw what was Brandon Ayuk's usage like and do you think it can expand to what we saw this week yeah, like you said, they didn't really need to be doing much. It was a game where they were pretty much in control from the start. So Ayuk didn't get much run. Like you said, three targets. He wasn't out there a ton either, but it, it makes sense for a guy, a rookie coming off an offseason that really didn't give him much of a chance to get any run coming off a soft tissue injury, ease him back into the fold, especially in a game where you don't like it was pretty early on. You could tell you wouldn't need to give him full complement of snaps. So I would expect he's a guy who does seem to fit the Shanahan scheme of get 
get your guys the ball and they will make the plays happen afterwards. I think he fits in that role well, and this team could definitely use some help. So I think his role will probably rapidly expand. Like as soon as they feel comfortable that he is able to control, like control his aspects of the offense, I'd imagine they need him to get in. And especially now that they're going to have Nick Mullins, you want to get as many weapons on, on the field as possible with Nick Mullins. I don't think he's the worst backup, but any backup, you just want to have them, Every time they throw, they're throwing it to someone who can make plays after the catch. So I would imagine Ayuk, you know, it wasn't a big role in week one or his week one. It's actually week two. I would imagine he's a guy that as soon as they feel comfortable that he can control the offense, he hits the ground running. Yeah, and Mullins was eight for 11 for 71 yards and interception. You mentioned Jarek McKinnon, three carries, 77 yards, and Jordan Reed, seven receptions on eight targets, 50 yards, and two scores. Okay, going to the Jets. They're 0-2. They put up 13 points this week. Sam Darnold, 21 of 32, 179 yards and a score. I mean, Frank freaking Gore, an awful game script, got 21 carries for 63 yards. Chris Hogan, Braxton Berrios were the team's leading target getters, team's leading receivers, 75 and 59 yards respectively. Is there anything like an ounce, a morsel that we can take from this team? Or is it just like, I mean, even Chris Herndon, we expect him to get a ton of volume. And he got four targets, one reception for five yards. I mean, this is a wasteland. It's a black hole of the game of football. Yeah, I think it might have been you that dropped this in our Slack that like chasing garbage time seems like a fool's errand, especially as it pertains to the Jets. Like the Jets are in garbage time because they're a terrible offense. That, And I think Sam Darnold didn't look absolutely atrocious. Adam Gase didn't really give him a ton of chances to go downfield, which is absolutely what, like, when you're down trailing so much, you have to be taking shots. They didn't do a ton of that. He was pretty hesitant to do anything deep. He dropped, you know, dropped a lot of short passes, dinks and dunks in a game that they should have been doing kind of the opposite. They should have been shooting for the moon. Almost every every throw after halftime should have been a deep bomb. And maybe it's because they don't have the talent. They certainly, they certainly don't. You can make that argument. But you still have to try. And at some points, I felt like Adam Case wasn't even trying. Like he he went fourth and seven field goal when they were uh, like fourth and seven from the goal line, I believe. Field goal, they were down like 21-3 at that point. What's even the point of putting a field goal on the board then? There was one drive that ended in a fourth and one where whichever running back was got absolutely stuffed. That came off of back-to-back-to-back Frank Gore carries. Like it seems like they're just so content with not getting absolutely boat race. And they kind of did anyway. So for me... I think you, it's fantasy wasteland. I'm not sure I want any of these guys. I don't know how deep of a league you have to be playing in where like Chris Ho- Chris Hogan is a great play. Braxton Berrios has scored. The game was completely over. It was actually kind of a nice throw by Sam Darnold. One of the few he had in the game. Scrambles, kind of throws on the run and hits Braxton Berrios who shook his man and he scores. But I am not counting on those from this team. Before we get to these solo recaps, do want to remind you of our premium products over at Roto World. If you need just a little extra boost to help you win your season, go on over to rotoworld.com slash edge. We have composite rankings of all of our analysts and experts. We have a start sit tool projections. There's a lot of betting content on there now. Again, rotoworld.com slash edge. It's four bucks a month. Four bucks a month, the price of guacamole, it'll give you a little bit of a boost. All right, first game from me. The Tempe Buccaneers went at home to go to 1-1 one one over the Carolina Panthers, who drop 0-2, 31-17. You know, Tom Brady didn't have his best week in week one, and I wouldn't say he had his best week here in week two either. There's some real growing pains going on, but early on, I mean, the Buccaneers were up 21 to nothing at halftime, and so much of that had to do with his connection to Mike Evans. 
the squeaky wheel got greased, as Pat might have put it. Uh, Mike Evans, 10 targets, 7 receptions, 104 yards, and a score. Brady found him down the seam for an easy, easy 50-yard completion, and then a back shoulder throw down that left sideline for a score where he just basically bullied Dante Jackson, and I would put in quotes, as a contested catch. It really wasn't that. Um, Scotty Miller barely, barely did anything. You know, three targets, two receptions, 11 yards. Gronk had one target that was overthrown for an interception. Um, Justin Watson slipped into the slot instead of the Chris Godwin, who, you know, was out with a concussion. But just three targets, two receptions, 48 yards. I mean, it really seemed like the Bucks took the pedal off in the second half. In fact, in the third quarter, the Panthers outgained the Bucks 125 to 11. Uh, the backfield split was interesting, though. Leonard Fournette finished 12 carries, 103 yards, and two touchdowns compared to Ronald Jones, seven carries, 23 yards, and a score. You know, Ronald Jones did have an early touchdown where he stiff-armed a Panthers defensive back. It was a great run. Then after that, he had like a miscommunication with Tom Brady, a missed handoff that resulted in a fumble. And maybe I'm wrong, but it just felt like we didn't see him after that. And, you know, with the Bucks winning by so much in the second half, Leonard Fournette kind of did his best Derrick Henry in terms of acting like a closer. And that included a 46-yard touchdown run in the fourth quarter where he just had to run in a straight line and he was gone. But Fournette also saw four, five targets for four receptions, 13 yards. And sure, LaShawn McCoy got seven targets himself and just turned it into 26 yards. But I wouldn't be surprised if we see Leonard Fournette at the very least split this backfield 50-50 next week with Ronald Jones. And maybe even moving forward, Leonard Fournette has 60% or 70% of the workload. On the Panthers' side, you know, the ceiling of this offense just isn't there. I mean, they don't take enough downfield shots, I would say. You know, Robbie Anderson, he has a nice floor now. It's kind of shocking to say that about Robbie Anderson, but it's true. 10 targets, 9 receptions, 109 yards. DJ Moore was the leading receiver, 13 targets, 8 receptions, 120 yards. Like, Teddy was fine from a completions and yards perspective. You know, 367 yards, but for someone who, you know, you don't want to make mistakes and you just want to execute the offense and you know, an adequate way in a reasonable way, throwing two interceptions just is not going to cut it. And he also had a fumble in the pocket, just trying to buy himself a little bit too much time. And you can't have those when you have the game of Teddy Bridgewater. Christian McCaffrey did get two touchdowns and 59 yards in the first three quarters. His final touchdown, it seemed like he injured his ankle, was seen on the sideline getting it wrapped. Mike Davis filled in for the next two series immediately McCaffrey was listed as questionable to return. And then as soon as Fournette hit off that big run to really seal the game, the Panthers immediately announced McCaffrey as out for the remainder. Ian Rappaport did say that Christian McCaffrey is going to have an MRI on Monday to know the extent of it, but it certainly didn't seem like it was as serious as some of the injuries across the league. Um, and finally, Mike Davis, in his absence, saw a ton of volume in the passing game. Eight targets, 74 yards. Again, a lot of that was just extremely negative game script. But, you know, people were excited about Teddy Bridgewater as a possible quarterback, too. All that kind of type of stuff. I mean, yes, they are going to be chasing points and chasing yards. But is this really the offense 
that you want to chase garbage time with. I mean, they're not going to throw downfield that often. There's going to be volume, but it's a lot of short to intermediate routes. That's fine. But I think that I wouldn't be surprised if outside of obviously CMC and DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson, spiked weeks are going to be difficult to predict with anyone else on this offense. So we will not be able to get to the Bears and the Giants game or the Titans and the Jaguars game. Just couldn't get a representative from those contests on here for the pod. But I did want to go over this ludicrous Cowboys and Falcons game where the Cowboys in the last second won 42-39. I mean, the game flow from the start, it could not have gone worse for the Cowboys. Like among their first drives were four turnovers. A first quarter fumble by Dak Prescott. Two minutes later, Ezekiel Elliott fumbled. Then they went for a fake punt on like fourth and three rather than just going for it like a normal team would have. And that was underthrown to a wide open target by the punter. The tight end, Dalton Schultz, who had a fantastic game, also fumbled. And then in between there, you had a Calvin Ridley wide open toe tapping touchdown. You had a Hayden Hurst wide open walk in touchdown. At one point, the Falcons were up 20 to nothing. At another point, they were up 26 to 7. The whole game kind of flipped in the second half. And again, could not have gone worse in the first half by the Cowboys. They were down 29 to 10 at halftime, but there was a wonderful play call by Dirk Cutter and this Falcons offense. Russell Gage lined up at Wildcat, the quarterback with Julio Jones in the slot. Gage threw a perfect deep ball that should have been an easy over the shoulder bucket catch by Julio just to walk into the end zone. And he dropped it. He just flat dropped it. And then from there, I mean, the Cowboys had 14 points in the third quarter, 16 points in the fourth quarter, outscored the Falcons 30-10 to 10 in those final two quarters. I mean, it shows you how talented this Cowboys team can be to overcome a deficit by their own doing in the first half. Then are able to emerge victorious. Dak ended 34-47, 450 yards, one passing score. He also had three rushing scores. Zeke had 89 yards on the ground. Also at 33 yards in the air. C.D. Lamb really emerged in this game. Some manufactured touches near the line of scrimmage. A lot of crossing routes. Nine targets, six receptions, 106 yards. Amari Cooper got his. Also nine targets for 100 yards. And I mentioned, you know, a lot of people were excited about Blake Jarwin heading into this year. It seemed like the Cowboys just viewed Dalton Schultz as a plug-and-play piece in the exact same way. Ten targets. 88 yards and a score. Michael Gallup didn't have as many opportunities, but did get five targets for 58 yards. I mean, this Cowboys offense is high powered. I'm very nervous about their defense, especially against the pass. I mean, they've had Anthony Brown out now this week. I don't think they have a playmaker in that coverage. I mean, they do have some good pass rushers, obviously, but just from a coverage standpoint, you know, this debate of, secondary versus pass rush, it's going to show with the Cowboys, I think. And I'm, I'm just not sure if they're going to have the secondary to really compete, especially with, you know, against the likes of Matt Ryan and Julio Jones and Hayden Hurst and Calvin Ridley and, and Russell Gage. I mean, the Falcons offensively did nothing wrong either, right? I mean, Matt Ryan had four touchdowns, 273 yards. Todd Gurley barely got anything going. I mean, he's struggle city right now. 61 yards on 21 carries, a long run of eight yards. I mean, just no juice to his game at the moment. 
but Calvin really continues to shine in these first two weeks. He is getting open with ease. He has so much body control. 10 targets, 109 yards, and two scores. Julio, Julio Jones, because of dropping that long score, just limited to four targets, 24 yards, and that's that. I mean, it's a major victory for the Cowboys, who we expect to be a better team this year than the Falcons because the next group of games, Seahawks, Browns, Giants, Cardinals, 0-2 teams just rarely, rarely make the playoffs. It's about an 80 to 90% rate that they miss the playoffs. So this is an important one for the Cowboys. All right. Again, sorry for not being able to cover those other two games in terms of the Giants, the Bears, the Jaguars, and the Titans. Um, Again, we'll be back on Tuesday with a 20-minute waiver podcast with John Daigle. I appreciate you all. Thank you so much. If you got to this point, why not take 20 more seconds? Leave us a rating and review. It helps us out tremendously. Up the Villa. They start on Monday, 1 Eastern, I believe on Peacock. Go and watch them. The Villa Boys from Aston. Anyways, we'll talk to you all soon. Have a good night. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... A charcoal mask. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? Uh, Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. (laughs) No, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed.